Welcome to the GMC Podcast, the regular place where you can catch all the sermon series and highlights from the team at GMC, Gillespie Memorial Church in Dunfermline, Scotland. Thanks for listening. Loving Father, as we gather to worship you this morning, whether within the sanctuary of our church building or within our own homes, we thank you for your presence with us. You're right beside us and we thank you for your constant love, for your grace and mercy and for all that you have provided. After the anguish and pain of Jesus' betrayal and crucifixion, we have the joy of your resurrection and the knowledge that you are our risen Lord and Saviour. Father God, thank you that your Son has paid the ultimate price for us and has set us free. Thank you for the joy of Easter Day last week and of all your promises to us. We thank you for your risen presence with us every moment of our lives. Father, forgive us when we put limits or conditions on our love for others. You have no conditions or limits on your love for us. Lord, help us to love one another as you love us, and to show your love to everyone with whom we come into contact. Help us to share the joy and good news of Easter and our risen Saviour with others, that they will want to know your saving grace and mercy. We thank you that despite the pain we have inflicted by our sins, your death and resurrection has set us free, free to be your disciples here and now. Lord, lead us in your way. Father, search our hearts and cleanse us of anything which separates us from your love. God, you are our refuge and our strength. We thank you that you accept us just as we are. Thank you that you give us strength for each new day. You protect and comfort us when life is difficult or challenging, and you guide us and bring us back to you when we have lost our way. God, you have created us for relationship, and we thank you that we can praise and worship you together. Thank you that despite all the restrictions we have, continue to care for each other. We may not have been able to meet together, but we have been able to encourage each other with virtual meetings, telephone calls and the occasional open-air, socially distant visit. Father, thank you that you are at the centre of all our relationships and that you have blessed us with friends and family. Lord, as spring continues and we see more and more shoots and growth emerging from the ground and new life in the fields around us, fill us with new life and send your Holy Spirit to encourage and fill us with new enthusiasm for your kingdom to grow here. We thank you for all that you are doing in us and with us, and may we grow together to plant the seeds of your love wherever we are. Father, at the start of this new week, we ask for your protection and guidance in all that we seek to do in your name, and to bring you all the glory and praise. In the name of our risen Saviour and Lord, we ask this now. Amen. Our reading today is Psalm 11. Psalm 11. In the Lord I take refuge. How then can you say to me, flee like a bird to your mountain? For look, the wicked bend their bows. They set their arrows against the springs to shoot from the shadows at the upright in heart. When the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord is on his heavenly throne. 
He observes everyone on earth, and his eyes examine them. The Lord examines the righteous, but the wicked, those who love violence, he hates with a passion. On the wicked he will rain fiery coals and burning sulfur. A scorching wind will be their lot. For the Lord is righteous. He loves justice. The upright will see his face. May God indeed bless the very reading of his word to us all this morning. We do not know exactly when David wrote this Psalm 11, but we know that the Psalm comes out of a desperate time, a time when his enemies seeming, seemed to be closing in on him, and he was being encouraged just to run away. And in verse 2, David gives us that dramatic description of the approach of the wicked. For look, the wicked bend their bows. They set their arrows against the strings to shoot from the shadows at the upright in heart. They bend their bows. They have their arrows ready. And their aim and their target is upon David, the upright in heart. And the mention of shadows perhaps means that the wicked wouldn't let darkness hinder them. That is, they'd be relentless in their attack night and day. Or it could mean that perhaps they are seeking to bring David down out of the public eye. And so David is faced with a decision. Does he take the tempting advice and run away to safety? Or does he stand firm and put his faith in God? And these are the two common responses to fear. It's flight or fight. Sometimes making the decision between these two options, it can be quite difficult. Both options may have their various advantages or disadvantages, and sometimes doing either would be right. So what is David to do here? What does God want him to do? Should he stay or should he go? Well, this psalm is perhaps best known for the question in verse 3. When the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? Now, let me say the foundations of God will never be destroyed, but they are always under attack, as they are in our society today. It's a fact that the great foundations of the Christian faith that underpin our nation's society are being attacked today as never before. The Christian faith is being attacked by men and women who want us to discard the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people, as Jude 1.3 describes it. And they want to substitute other doctrines of man's invention. On every hand, it seems our society is turning away from the divine revelation and substituting man's feeble speculations. Now, of course, our the culture of our nation has been heading away from its Christian foundations for years. 
But perhaps the shock today is the speed of the change. When you see the government buildings lit up in rainbow colors, when you see the police vehicles and police officers dressed in rainbow colors, you know that we're seeing Romans 1 lived out in our day. And I have no doubt that things will get worse in our nation in the near future. Open hostility to Christians will increase. Many will lose their jobs because of their convictions, and some already have. Many will find their careers blocked because of blatant anti-Christian hatred, and some already have. Christians will face huge fines for standing up for their convictions, and some already have. Increasingly, Christian believers will be marginalized and ridiculed. Christians who dare to speak out against the prevailing tide are vilified on social media. Some are receiving threatening calls or messages. A lot of, our, of the decisions being made by our leaders today are a significant attack on the very foundations of society itself. The Christian foundations of society are being destroyed before our eyes, and not only in society. It is also happening in the church. So, when the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? What can Christians do when the moral and spiritual foundations of society crumble beneath them? Christians in Scotland face that question today. How will we respond? Will we give up? Will we despair? Will we become bitter? Will we resort to violence? Or will we run away and hide? Will we run away from the battle? What? will the righteous do? What, what can we do? What do you do when the foundations are being destroyed? David's answer, it all depends on how big your vision of God is. Notice what David doesn't do. He doesn't immediately start to raise money for a big political campaign. Or in modern terms, he doesn't immediately organize a social media campaign. For David, and for us, it's not about the what, it's about the who. In times like these, we need God first and foremost. When the foundations are being hacked away, we have to go back to these basic truths. And that's what David does in Psalm 11. David begins by reminding himself of just who God is. So first of all, he focuses on the truth that there is a God in heaven who is the sovereign Lord of this universe. In the Lord I take refuge. David trusts not in his own strength, 
not in the strength of his power and authority as king. He doesn't trust in the weapons of war or the might of men. He places his faith and trust in God. Why? Because David knows that God has chosen him and called him and has delivered him before. David knows and has experienced in his own life God's utter faithfulness. God has revealed himself to David as a God of mercy, justice, and faithfulness. And because of this revelation, David takes refuge in him. And of course, this is how God has revealed himself to us in his word. For example, Matthew 16, verse 18, where Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. We are his church. He has called us and set us apart as his people. And so we too can trust in the Lord and find our rest and refuge in him. There is a God in heaven who is the sovereign Lord of this universe. Then second, David focuses on the truth that God is holy and just, which means that God loves righteousness and hates sin. So David recalls God's holiness, and he says in verse 4, the Lord is in his holy temple. God is a holy God, and David trusts that he will not fail to do what is good and right. And then David recalls the Lord's justice. The Lord is on his heavenly throne. The Lord's throne is in heaven. God rules and judges from his throne. And David knows that God will judge rightly between him and his oppressors. The wicked will not be able to stand, no matter what their strength, for God's justice is backed up by his almighty strength and power. God will bring judgment and will do so forcefully. So David recalls God's holiness. God will not fail in doing what is good and right. And David recalls God's justice. The Lord's throne is in heaven. God rules and judges from his throne. God is holy and just. And then David acknowledges God's omniscience. That's the third truth that he focuses on. God knows and sees all. He observes everyone on earth. His eyes examine them, verse 4. What we read in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13 is true, that nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So even though the oppressors shoot their arrows in the dark, God sees them. He knows their plots and their plans. 
The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. He observes everyone on earth. His eyes examine them. And this is David's way of saying God is everywhere and he is in control. I admit, it doesn't always look that way on the ground. When you read the headlines, it can seem as if the whole world is spinning out of control. With the rising spiral of violence in our world, with its slippery slide into the pit of moral corruption, it's easy to conclude that God either is not on his throne or he doesn't care what happens on earth. But we know there is a God who sits on the throne of the universe, a God who is absolutely sovereign, a God whose ways are far above our ways, a God to whom the whole human race must give account. Our God is never asleep, never surprised, never startled by evil, never shaken by natural disasters, never taken aback by the decisions that our rulers make. And God is not nervously pacing heaven, wondering, who will I get to sort this out? Not at all. God is where he has always been, seated on his throne. So, in, in verses 5 to 7, we read this, the Lord examines the righteous, but the wicked, those who love violence, he hates with a passion. On the wicked he will rain fiery coals and burning sulfur. A scorching wind will be their lot. For the Lord is righteous. He loves justice. The upright will see his face. Now there's one thing we need to note First of all, in, in these verses, God also examines the righteous, the Christians, the church. Now, the purpose and the results of this testing are very different from his examination of the wicked. But David uses the imagery here of a metallurgist. The word examine or test is a word that's used of people who refine precious metals like gold or silver. That process involves heating up the ore until the, the metal until it melts, and when the metal is in liquid form, all the fragments of rock or debris or other impurities we call dross, they rise to the top, and they're scraped away and discarded and once that's done, the molten metal is removed from the fire and allowed to cool. And what remains is more precious and a more valuable material. And the process can be repeated several times to reach a higher level of impurity. Now, in 1 Peter 1, verses 6 to 7, we read, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. 
these have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, your faith may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. David is using the same imagery to to talk of God's eyes testing or examining the hearts of God's people, his church. And so, knowing all things, God carries out his examination of the upright and the wicked in holiness and with justice. No one gets away with anything. God knows That's the whole point of these verses. God sees everything. He reads every heart. He knows every thought. He hears the words whispered in the darkness. He knows us better than we know ourselves. David goes on in verse 5 to say that the Lord, because of his being most holy, hates and despises, even to the very core of his being, those who love violence. Now, the the fact that God is love is God's revelation of himself. Unfortunately, this biblical truth is too often turned into an exclusive attribute. That is, that God is only love. And so to read that God hates something, or in this case, someone, may be a little hard to grasp. But God hates the one who loves violence, David says. God's hate is rooted not only in his holiness, but in his justice. And that which God hates, he will bring to judgment. And David goes on in verse 6 to describe very graphically and vividly the judgment that will fall upon the lovers of violence, the wicked and the unrepentant sinners. Judgment is coming for those who mock God and reject his word. When a nation celebrates what God condemns, judgment from on high must come. No one can say how or when, or where that judgment will come. But as certainly as God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, as certainly as the great empires of history have fallen, even so, no nation is promised exemption from God's judgment. And we dare not water down these solemn words. And then David says in verse 7, For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. The upright will see his face. God loves righteousness and those who do righteousness. So David grounds his confidence in the truth that the upright will behold his face. David earlier was referred to as the upright in heart, who was the target of the arrows of the oppressors. The upright whom God sees when they are oppressed and attacked, even under the cover of darkness, they are the ones who shall behold his face. They shall know his presence. They shall have blessed fellowship 
with him. In other words, the Lord stands up for those who stand with him. And David gains confidence from this humbling fact. Whom shall he then fear? Why should he doubt and flee? He can stand firm in his faith, trusting in the Lord as his refuge. Now you may ask, is this only true for David? Well, not at all. This is the true position of all who believe God and his word, and it's taught throughout the Bible. For example, in 2 Chronicles 20 is the story of Jehoshaphat, who was one of the good kings of Judah. His story is also one about trust in God despite overwhelming circumstances. God's enemies were ganging up against Jehoshaphat, and the odds were very much against him. The danger was very, very real. The army he faced was far larger than the army he commanded. And in a straightforward battle, his men would lose badly. What will Jehoshaphat do? Well, like David, the king's first action was not to call together a, a council of war. He did not try to form an alliance with neighboring kings. We read Jehoshaphat was frightened and prayed to the Lord for guidance. Then he gave orders for a fast to be observed throughout the country. Jehoshaphat turned to the Lord and he called the people to prayer. With the people gathered round him and with the enemy advancing hour by hour, Jehoshaphat offers one of the great prayers that are recorded in the Bible. Like David, he begins by declaring God's greatness. O oh Lord God, God of our fathers, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand. No one can withstand you. And then next, he reminds God of the promises he made to take care of his people when we were, they were in trouble. And then he tells God, we are in big trouble now. And he freely admits, we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. And he concludes with this simple confession. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. And there are two things especially to note in this prayer. The first is that they accepted their weakness. We have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. And that's how it must be with prayer. We need to admit to God when we cannot handle situations. The other thing to note is that they looked for God's answer. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. And what a, a refreshing change this is from so many prayers. So often we do not pray requests to God, we pray answers. We've made up our minds in advance what we would like to happen, and we tell God in prayer what he should do. 
Oh, what a, a fruitless exercise that is. He is the Lord, not us. He will not be told what to do. And all we achieve by our narrow, blinkered approach is that we miss God's answer. They looked for God's answer. And when the prayer was over, the Holy Spirit prompted a man named Jehaziel to stand up and to announce God's plan. And when they obeyed what God said, they experienced a result more dramatic and decisive than anything they could have dared to pray for. When we face these times of uncertainty today, we must know where to focus our attention. We need to make certain that we focus our attention not on ourselves, not on our circumstances, but on God. David and Jehoshaphat both faced perplexing situations, but they knew where their help must come from. We today face a future filled with frightful predictions, and we wonder, what am I going to do? David and Jehoshaphat say, turn to God. Set yourself to seek the Lord. Don't let seemingly impossible situations intimidate you. Let them motivate you. When our lives are threatened, when our faith is threatened, our marriage, morality of our children, our worship, when we are threatened by any of Satan's devices, we should seek the Lord in earnest prayer. Even when we are most desperate and fear is making our insides melt, let us ascribe sovereign power to God. Power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. These are bad times, because so many of our leaders are spiritually corrupt and morally blind. But why should we despair? If God is on the throne, then we should rejoice. When the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? Make no mistake, the foundations are being destroyed right in front of our very eyes. Long-held moral values are being discarded in favor of a, a new morality that's really no morality at all. What can the righteous do? Well, I believe this is no time to run away, and that there's no place to go anyway. We have to take a stand for what we believe. Christians need to take their convictions to the, the voting booth. We ought to write letters, speak out, refuse to be intimidated, support good candidates, and even run for office ourselves. But most of all, when the foundations are being destroyed, we need a fresh view of our God. God, who sees all things, will judge the wicked. He will bring them down in the end. And the righteous will see God's will be done. Oh, do remember Matthew 16, 18, where Jesus said, I will 
build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it, prevail against it, stop it. Amen. Thanks for listening to the GMC podcast from Gillespie Memorial Church in Scotland. For more details about us, visit our website, gillespiechurch.org, and search for us also on YouTube and Facebook. All inquiries can be made through the Contact Us page on our website or through the church office. This has been a production of the GMC team, and copyright remains with the producers of this podcast. Thanks for listening, and God bless.